Well, hello, everybody, and happy February to you. My name is Jared, and you're listening to the Life Church Canton podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm one of the pastors at Life Church. I'm your host for the show, and I'm excited to bring to you a new series that we did, uh, that we've started. It's called Hidden Figures. I'm going to explain the series a little bit more in the sermon that you're about to hear and uh, specifically talk a little bit about church history, but we try to make it as applicable as possible. So I hope you enjoy. also want to remind you, if you're a first-time or second-time guest with us listening to the show and you haven't yet subscribed, um, please go ahead and do that. That would be great. Then you're going to get updates whenever this podcast comes out with a new one. Also, uh, if you would like to give to Life Church and the work that we get to be a part of, uh, it truly makes an impact. If you go to our lifechurchcanton.org slash give page, you see all the ways in which uh, your giving does make an impact. And so uh, I'm going to encourage you to check that out if you would be so willing. Also, um, we are going to mention something about Be the Bridge. And that's a small group that's coming up soon in March. And you can go to our now page and register for that right now. Uh, it's the uh, lifechurchcanton.org slash now. That has all of our most up-to-date information, as well as the opportunity for you to sign up for Be the Bridge. You're going to hear a little bit more about that in the message toward the end. So listen to the whole thing and enjoy it, and uh, we'll see you real soon. You may have a seat. So good to be together with you uh, in the person and watching online. My name is Jared, and I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to Life Church. If you are watching online, don't be afraid to engage with us at any moment. If you want to click on some of the links that we provide in the comment section, that will help you get connected, and we can help you take your next steps. Uh, all of you in the room, you can do the same thing. You can go to our Now page or visit us at our Welcome Desk at the back before you leave here today. We're going to be talking about some deep heavy things in just a moment. But before we do, I want to get to some very important business. I need to ask you, uh, is anybody cheering for Tampa Bay today? Okay, couple, Kansas City? Well, okay, what? Nobody. (laughs) Anybody here? Uh, Anybody cheering against Tom Brady? I'm alone in that one too. Okay, great. Uh, Is anybody, you just don't care about football and you're just going to maybe, all right. That usually gets a rousing applause. Good. Uh, I want to tell you a quick story. There was a movie that came out a couple years ago uh, based on a book, and it was based on a real story about these people who were part of the space race in the 1960s. And there was a big piece that they played, but the story didn't often get told. It was this movie called Hidden Figures. And maybe some of you have uh, seen it, but it tells the story of uh, specifically these African-American women who were working with NASA to help calculate a mathematical trajectory in order to accomplish multiple missions. Incredible story, right? But hidden, hidden figures. The, the story didn't get often told in the grand scheme of things. And the important thing about the movie, there's multiple messages within the movie, but one that I tend to pull from that is that you got to give credit where credit is due, right? And so here's the thing that we celebrate, at least in this nation, we celebrate Black History Month, and it's this idea that we give credit where credit is due. And it's a, it's a good thing to be a part of, um, but also we decided as a church we want to talk about this too, but there's actually a deeper aspect to this idea. And so we're doing a series called Hidden Figures. 
And we're looking specifically at hidden figures, not just in our nation or in our culture, but hidden figures in the church, in the early church particularly. And you might not have known this, but there are actually black or African church fathers very early on in the first few centuries that contributed to the whole theological process. Many of the things that maybe sometimes we take for granted in understanding how to read the scriptures and how to understand God. Some of the names that we're going to cover are Tertullian and Origen and Augustine and Athanasius. And you're all like, bless you. Gazootite. No, uh, some of these names, maybe you don't even know them. If you're not, you didn't grow up in the church, you're like, I don't know those names. That's entirely okay. We're going to kind of unpack a little bit of the theological contributions that they brought to the church that you and I now still get to celebrate and enjoy. We just might not know that these were actually men that came from Africa and contributed very deep concepts to what we understand today. So we're going to talk about some hidden figures, but I got to ask the question, why is this important? Why do we acknowledge diversity? Why is it even important uh, to think about this? Do you think diversity is important? Or, or is this just sort of a cultural phenomenon? Like maybe it's just like pop, popular in culture to talk about diversity and to celebrate those things. Is that why we're doing this? And I would say absolutely not. Absolutely not. Diversity is a biblical idea. It's a godly idea well before it's a cultural phenomenon. And so we actually have to look at this and try to understand it from a foundational standpoint. I'm going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where God is creating the world and creating order, and he gets to humanity and says, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. It's an interesting phrase. Let me read that one more time. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Kind of talking in the plural sense. What is going on here? Who is God talking to? We'll get to that in just a second. But this is where we get the idea of the imago Dei, which is the image of God. You and I were created in the image of God. Now, here's the thing. I was created in the image of God, but so were you. And we look different from each other. So how do we reflect the image of God if we look different? And then, well, what does God look like? Our diversity reflects God. God is diverse. That might be the first time you've heard something like that before. We're going to unpack that in just a second. But let's just go with that for a moment, that we see diversity in the very beginning of the scriptures. But then it takes us all the way to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, which is the end of the story, which is actually a new beginning. But it says this, John is envisioning this moment when Christ comes back and all of heaven and all of earth are united as one and we're all worshiping together around the throne of Jesus. And it says this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language all standing in front of the throne. This is the picture that we get. So we start with diversity in the beginning. We move to diversity in the end, which is actually a new beginning. This is where it's going. This is where it's all headed. Diversity reflects the hope of God. But diversity also reflects God. What do I mean by that? There's this mysterious concept that we have tried to use to tr try to understand the nature of God for centuries. And it's this word, you may have heard it before, the Trinity. 
the Trinity. It's this idea that there's three in one, that God is one God, but three persons as well, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a massive theological concept that has been talked about and debated and discussed for centuries. But we get this idea from Certainly from one verse in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all exist in perfect love and unity even before the world is created. There is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Unique, but united. Diverse, but in community with each other. And one. Maybe if you're new to the church, your mind might be turning to uh, mush right now. But stick with me. There's more to unpack here. Here's the thing. This is a deep theological concept that has been discussed for years. But much of where we get this comes from Tertullian, one of the church fathers that we're talking about. He grew up in Carthage, which is in a northern African territory. And he is... uh, He's very important in the time and in the culture and the context that he was in specifically because what he was combating was uh, polytheism, which is this understanding of many gods, polytheism, many gods. This was very normal in that context, very normal in that, in that culture is to have an understanding of the divine world is there's multiple gods and they all represent different things. There's gods of nature, gods of uh, agriculture, gods of different parts of culture as well, uh, art and war and all the, these different kinds of things. And so you would worship these various gods in a various different Forms. You'd have this sort of transactional relationship with them to maybe get something that you would want. That was very normal in this context. And so this is the context that, that Tertullian is surrounded by. Well, in the Old Testament, the Hebrews understood God as one. They were monotheistic, one God. They believed in Yahweh, right? But then Jesus comes along and now he's the representative of God and then he sends the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in just a second as well. And so as Christianity is emerging in the first few centuries, there's a lot of debate. So wait, there, there's three? There's God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? Well, that, that just sounds like polytheism. That just sounds like you have many gods. Oh, there's nothing special about your God, Christians. You're just kind of like everybody else. And Tertullian is like, no, 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 you don't understand This is so much bigger and so much better than how you understand your finite gods. No, our God is infinite. Our God is all-sufficient, all-encompassing, all-knowing, all-loving, and exists in three persons. It's a hard concept for them to get around, but Tertullian, this is a massive tension that he is fighting for. In fact, you and I might just think this is some backdoor academic conversation at some university. No, this was life and death in the first few centuries. People fought over this in a very real way, and many people lost their lives fighting for a right understanding of who God is and his nature and how we interact with this God. What if I told you, that having this argument and having this debate and trying to understand this kind of God and this concept of the Trinity is actually for the benefit of love. What if actually understanding the Trinity is so that you and I can better understand the love of God? Not only that, but also so that we can understand the importance of celebrating diversity. If you and I are created in the image of God, 
but also you and I are diverse. We reflect the diversity of God. And God is in diverse community. Here's why this is important. If we miss out on the diversity of the Trinity of God, we actually miss out on God. We miss out on the character of who God is and how God functions in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we actually don't understand what it means to follow Jesus if we miss out on this. And we miss out on the beautiful diversity that makes up humanity. And then what happens, unfortunately, is that it leads to agitation in our relationships whenever we begin to talk about diversity. So this is incredibly important that we understand and get after the Trinity. Now, here's what Tertullian gave us. He gave us this little uh, graphic, this drawing, and every, every understanding of the Trinity is going to fall short. It is a bit of a mystery to try to understand the Trinity, and I just want to say that that's entirely okay. It is okay to have mystery, but this is how he described it, that God, all of them are God. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. Mind blown yet? <laughs> And yet, this is how it all works together. I want to ask you a question. How does the Trinity, how does the Trinity intersect with your faith on a daily basis? Maybe even a better question is to ask, does the Trinity, do you acknowledge the presence of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in your prayer life, in your daily faith? There's a guy named A.W. Tozer, a theologian, who came up with this really bold claim I'll let you decide if you believe it or not. He said this, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. So understanding the Trinity is a really big deal. And this is what Tertullian fought for, tooth and nail. We're going to look at some scripture here for this to discuss this even more. I want you to go to John chapter 14. And we're going to be walking through a majority of the entire chapter. And just going verse by verse to try to understand what's going on. But let me give you a little bit of context as we get into John chapter 14. So in John chapter 14, it's toward the end of the book. We're getting to the end of the story of Jesus. And Jesus is about to be handed over to the religious leaders. He's going to be arrested and eventually he's going to be crucified. He's going to be killed. And the disciples have a sense that that something is going on. Jesus has been with his closest followers and friends, his disciples, for a couple years now. He's been spending time with them, teaching them about who God is. And he's also been preparing preparing them for suffering, for their suffering, but particularly for his suffering. They're starting to get a little bit nervous about what's going to happen. They're they're kind of anxious. They're they're concerned. They're worried. And rightly so, because they don't want to see him go. They don't want to see him leave. He's preparing them for his death. And they're nervous about this. Now, it's important to think about this. The, the disciples, I think sometimes we have this image like these are grown men with huge beards, right, that are in their 30s and 40s. But many of these were probably teenagers, probably young boys learning how to follow this rabbi. I think about it like this to try to get some idea of their emotional state as they're trying to convince Jesus not to leave them. Uh, A few years ago, well, not more than a few years ago, we have kids. We had three kids, still have them actually, and um, and they... When they were really young, we just it was hard to get out of the house because they were all three in diapers at one point. 
And eventually they got older and we could start going out. Well, then eventually they got a little bit older and they started to notice that we would go on and have a date night and they didn't like that. They didn't want us to leave. And so we started preparing them ahead of time. Parents, have you done this before? You prepare your kids to say, hey, on Friday night, I'm going to go out with mommy and we're going to have some dinner together and then we'll come back. But you're going to have a babysitter. And, you know, in the moment, they're fine. But then the moment the babysitter shows up and rings the doorbell, all, you know what, breaks loose. And they just start going crazy and wailing. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And they're just, you know, they're grabbing onto my pant leg and I'm trying to go. I'm like, I just want to go have dinner. That's all I'm trying to do. Like, without you crying and throwing food on the floor. Like, that's all I want. But they were just so frustrated and emotional about this moment. Now, these are just children and their parents are going out to eat. How much more for these disciples who have this son of God, this Messiah who has come to save them from their oppression, to take them out of their circumstance and is saying, I'm going to leave you. How much more concerned and sad and frustrated and despairing might they be? And here's what Jesus does. To comfort them, to calm them, as he begins to talk about his nature. He begins to talk about the Trinity for the sake of their love and hope and care for them. This is what he does. John chapter 14, verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Does that sound familiar? We just sang it in the first song today. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I am going. A couple quick things. Jesus says, trust in God and trust also in me. So there's like two entities here for the disciples. Okay, we, we already know about God. We've followed Yahweh all our lives, but now we're trusting in you. Okay, so, so somehow you're connected to God, the Father, and, and to Yahweh, so, so you are in business together, so we'll trust both of you. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, but then he also gives this interesting language. This is just important for context. He says, uh, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, in that context, to these disciples, how they understood that language is this is wedding imagery. And what, what you would do as a groom is you would tell your bride, I'm going to go and basically build a house. We're going to add a room to an existing house, and then you're going to come and live with me. I'll come and get you, and that will be the sign that the wedding banquet is ready for us to go and get married. Jesus is preparing them for this feast, this banquet that's about to happen for a wedding ceremony. But it's at a much bigger level, a much more eternal level than just an actual wedding. So that's just a little sidebar for us for uh, an understanding of context. He says, you know the way to where I am going. Thomas joins in. No, we don't know, Lord. (laughs) No, we don't. Where are you going? We have no idea where you are going. So how how can we know the way? So Thomas is still confused. He's frustrated. He doesn't understand. He's been with Jesus this whole time and still can't seem to understand what Jesus is talking about. Jesus continues going on in verse 6. He told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you'd really known me, you would know who my Father is. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Okay, so now we move just a little bit further, a little bit deeper 
into the nature of God. So it started with Jesus just saying, trust God, trust also in me. Okay, the Father and the Son, they work together. Now he says, you can only get to the Father through me. That sounds like a, like a deeper relationship there. Okay, and then we continue the conversation. Now Philip pipes in, he says, Lord, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. This is like you going to Starbucks and say, I want to see your manager. Like, just get me past you because you don't know what you're talking about. I want a caramel macchiato and I want to talk to your manager. It's like, I want to just go right to the source. I want to get past all of the, you know, busyness here. It's like Philip just saying, you know what, Jesus, this is really too hard for us to understand this idea of trusting in you and trusting in God. Let's just see the Father. Jesus says, no, I have been with you. Have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. All right, now we've peeled back yet another layer, right? (laughs) So the Father and Son are in business together. Nope, it's more. You can only get to the Father through the Son. Nope, it's even more than that. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. These are deep concepts that Jesus is introducing to his disciples. Trying to help them understand how God works. The Father and the Son are intimately, symbiotically connected. Let's continue to read in verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So what's going on here is Jesus kind of steps aside from the the Trinitarian conversation that he's been having about his nature, and now says, actually, you're going to be involved in this process. You're going to do some pretty incredible things as well. He invites them to participate in the same redemptive, healing, and forgiving work that Jesus had been doing for the last three years. He says, you're going to do those things. Actually, you're going to do even greater things. Can you imagine that? Jesus coming to you and saying, hey, um, you know, I know I I died on the cross and did some really cool stuff for all of humanity and saved the world from their sin, but you're going to do some pretty great things too. That would feel really empowering, right? Like, Okay, well, what, what is that going to be? I, I would have this anticipation, like, what are you talking about? Like, what am I going to do? What are you empowering me to do? Jesus empowers his disciples in this moment, but then he goes back to more. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Okay, now we're, now we're like peeling back all kinds of layers, okay? I was with you with the trust God and trust also in me, but now it's like this weird metaphysical kind of intricate thing that's all working out together. This is like really crazy stuff, Jesus. I'm in the Father Father is in me. Now I'm going to give you another one. He's the Holy Spirit. He's the advocate. And he's going to be with you. But then he's actually going to be in you. Like this is, this is intense. 
Jesus is drawing them in to the community of God, to this diverse community of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, all distinct, all unique, and yet unified, working together, but also drawing you into it as well. The Holy Spirit's going to be in you so that you can participate in the redemptive work that Jesus has been doing. It's fascinating what Jesus is doing. All for the sake of their comfort and their love to not let their hearts be troubled. Let's continue reading. It says, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. And when I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. If this is getting difficult to understand how this works, I think about it like this. This might be helpful imagery, but again, whenever we're talking about the Trinity, any illustration, any imagery, any graph or picture is going to break down at some point. And again, it's okay that there's a bit of mystery. But this is how it helps for me to imagine this. If you've ever seen ballroom dancers, like really, really talented ballroom dancers, there's the, this concept with dancing where one has to lead the other, right? But if you see them as really talented and they're really, uh, they're really sort of in step with one another, after they're dancing for a while, you actually can't really tell who's leading who. And they're doing various spins and it's just, it's beautiful. It's all sort of one working together. It's this dynamic moving thing that you're watching but nobody sits around watching ballroom dancers and thinks, now I wonder what's happening. I wonder if I could break this down mathematically and separate out this part and this part and see how they come together. No, you're just enjoying it. You just watch it for the beauty that it is. You're not trying to diagnose it or break it down. You just allow it to show beauty. It doesn't even come close to what Jesus is trying to describe here. The Father is in me. And I am in you. And there's this beautiful dance where we're in sync, we're in step with one another, all for the sake of love. To give beauty to the world in a world filled with chaos and ugliness. You get to put love and beauty on display. And this is how the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, all work together for our good. We reflect the beautiful diversity of the Trinity of God. This is what we get invited into. And here's why Tertullian is fighting for this so hard, because in a world of polytheism, of multiple gods, of transactional relationships with God. Well, I'll sacrifice this if you can help me get my crops, or I'll sacrifice these things so that my wife can have a child. And if you don't do those things, well, then the gods are going to be upset with you. It's not some transactional relationship where I do something, then you do something. It's not fragmented where there's this God of this thing over here, but then the God of this thing is over here, and the God of this thing is over here. No, no, no. This is an all-encompassing, all-sufficient, all-knowing, all-loving God in perfect community with himself. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, motivated by love, 
inviting us into that love. This is what Tertullian is fighting for. And it gets to us 2,000 years later. And this is where we get to celebrate the work that's been done. It's a beautiful picture of what's happening here. I want to read on verse 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. So we have a code here. It's on our wall. It says, encounter Jesus. This is what we mean when we say, encounter Jesus. This is what we want you to engage with and encounter. This is so much bigger and deeper than just knowing a couple facts about who Jesus was and when he lived and some of the things that he did. No, we want you to experience the fullness of who God is in the beautiful diversity that is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's another question that the disciple has, though. This time it's Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that same name. He said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? I like to think that this is a great question. Like, like Judas is actually thinking beyond himself. For those of you that have been through the life journey, you've learned about the map where you sort of make that turn from understanding that the world isn't all just about you that there are others to care about. I like to think that Judas actually is being mindful of the rest of the world. Jesus, why, why don't you just show the whole world this, this amazing thing? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them, and we will come make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me, and remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So Jesus takes a moment to sort of just wrap up that whole conversation about the Trinity. And then he goes on to continue answering Judas's question. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. And if you really loved me, you'd actually be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. I've told you these things before, before they happen, so that when they do happen, you will believe. Which if you think about it, doesn't fully answer Judas's question of why why not just reveal yourself to the whole world? Because Judas, this is for you, for your love and for your belief so that you can go share this with the world. The world's not looking for me. The world's not looking for the Spirit. But they're going to see you. And if the Holy Spirit is in you and I am in you and you are in me, the world's going to see you. So you're going to do great things. Church, this is what we're invited into as the church. This isn't just some spectator sport. I love what Bridget said at the beginning. Get in the game of serving and expressing to the world God's love. This all-encompassing, beautiful, diverse, Trinitarian love. This is so important to understand this, to get after this, to 
to honor the work of Tertullian, to recognize the importance of the Trinity. Why? So that you know you are not alone. You are not alone in this life. And it's not just about you. We heard that from Nathan last week. It's not all about me. If I want to adequately reflect the diversity of God, I actually can't do that on my own. I need brothers and sisters from every tribe and tongue and nation to surround me so that we all can represent the beautiful diversity of God. We've said it this way, that oftentimes the yous in the scriptures are plural. It's not just you individually, it's you all, y'all, right? The Southerners got it right. It's y'all reflect the diversity of God. I can't do this on my own. We need each other. I want to ask you one last question. How do you, better yet, how do y'all want to reflect the full picture of who God is to the world? Because that's what we've been called to do as the church. As you're reflecting on that, I want to give you some action steps for how you can begin that journey. First of all, invite somebody. Invite somebody into the journey with you. It's as simple as just inviting someone in, inviting them in to the church, inviting them into a relationship that is filled with love, inviting them into belief as well. Second, learn. Never stop learning. Maybe you're one that is, is really struggling with trying to understand some of these concepts or trying to understand why it's important that we would celebrate diversity in the church. Why is that so important? Doesn't that seem just like a cultural distinction? No, 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 no. This is a scriptural idea. This is a biblical, a godly idea. But to get to diversity doesn't just happen overnight. That's why we also talk about biblical justice. It's important that we recognize where there has been injustice, where the plan has gone away from what God had intended. And we participate in justice and in the redemptive, healing, forgiving work that Jesus has called us to do. If that's who we're imitating, then we do the same things that he did. Learn more about this. Learn about justice. We have a But Justice page. And if you're on our Now page, you can click on that right now and go and learn. There's tons of resources for how we can continue to grow with one another. But then lastly, It's important that we grow and surround each other in community. So what I want you to do is I want you to consider joining Be the Bridge. It's a small group opportunity where we have people of all different backgrounds coming together and talking about what it means to actually celebrate diversity, but taking some of the hard steps to get to that point and to see the beauty in everybody's story as well. A year ago, I went through Uh, be the bridge and many of the relationships that were formed in that small group are going to stick with me forever I can't encourage you enough consider joining be the bridge there's an opportunity to sign up right now on the now page as I close I recognize that there are some watching online or some in the room maybe there was one verse that stuck out to you this John 14 6 verse that maybe you've heard before but you're never sure what to do with it This idea that no one can come to the Father except through him. That seems really scary and maybe exclusionary to some people. I understand that. I want you to consider it as an invitation. 
Jesus wouldn't invite you into this relationship if it wasn't good. If you didn't realize that it was actually for your benefit, for hope, for love, for peace, and for joy in your life. And if you've never given your life to Jesus so that you can experience true, eternal life, I want to give you that opportunity right now in this moment. And you might pray along with me something like this. God, I'm I'm still not sure if I believe. And I know it's only through your son Jesus that I can truly experience new life. But I'm not sure I'm ready for that yet. So I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to ask that you lead me by your Holy Spirit so I can meet the Father. God, I'm going to trust that your entire being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all together working so that I am comforted, so that I'm loved, so that I can experience new life. God, I will choose to hand over my life to you and to commit myself to following you. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed that. Um, And again, check out our Now page so that you can have access to the links for the most up-to-date information. That's www.lifechurchcanton.org slash now. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day and, uh, and keep on growing in your faith. If you need anything, don't hesitate to reach out to us. We'd lo- we just, we'd love to support you in any way that we can through prayer, through comfort, through just, uh, through just chatting sometimes if you need that as well. Uh, have a great day. We'll see you soon.